Thank you for joining us on If She Can Do It, So Can You. My name is Amanda Creasy, and I am your host. On If She Can Do It, So Can You, we aim to air a new episode on the first of every month so that we can share with you women's wisdom, wit, and grit in an empowering and inspirational podcast. I'm glad that you're here to listen as I talk to women about their trials and their triumphs while they share their stories of challenges they've overcome, barriers they've broken, stereotypes they have silenced, and dreams that they have achieved. My goal is that through each episode, you will be able to find your own strength, healing, and motivation through their success stories. Because if she can do it, so can you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of If She Can Do It, So Can You. Our guest this month is Ellen Kanzinger, and she is a documentary photographer and journalist based out of Charlottesville, Virginia. She currently works as the travel editor for Blue Ridge Outdoors magazine, covering outdoor recreation and environmental issues in the Mid-Atlantic and Southeast. Whether it's climbing into the open cockpit of a hand-built airplane or biking 184 and a half miles along the CNO Canal, she does whatever it takes to get the story. Ellen also volunteers as a transcriber for the Prison Journalism Project, an organization dedicated to telling stories from inside the justice system. In her free time, you can usually find her hiking the trails of Shenandoah National Park, biking around town, or sitting on her balcony with a book in hand. So welcome, Ellen. We are so happy to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me, Amanda. I appreciate it. Of course. So we'll jump into the questions. I have a lot of them. Um, You're a very interesting person, so you lend yourself to many, many questions, which is awesome. The first question I want to ask you is how long have you been the travel editor for Blue Ridge Outdoors magazine? I've been the travel editor with Blue Ridge Outdoors since uh, August of 2018, so a little over three years now, and I started the job sort of right, right out of college. And I might have this wrong, but am I remembering that you sort of designed this position or did they have a a travel outdoor editor before you had that role? They did have a a travel outdoor, yeah. Um, Jess Daddio, who is a, a, she's doing some freelance photography and and video work now and and writing. Um, But yeah, she she was in the position before me. Okay. She's still at the magazine then. Uh, So she's a freelancer now. So she does a lot of different stuff for a lot of different people, but she still will occasionally write for the magazine, which is awesome. Yeah, that is really nice. It says in your bio that you do a lot of environmental stories and that you're very concerned with the environment. So what do you perceive as the most pressing environmental issue in the area that you cover and why? That is such a big question, uh, mostly because I feel like I could uh, write you a list that, that goes on for miles. Um, I think one of the issues that, that I'm most interested in, especially in this region, is the issue around energy and uh, what the future of energy looks like and what it, the future of clean energy looks like, uh, non-extractive energy, and also um, energy justice and, and what that looks like in terms of uh, creating accessible and uh, clean and um, you know also thinking about uh, the, the affordability of, elect, of energy and um, sort of what that looks like moving forward. So I think that's one of my main concerns, sort of living where I am now. But I also grew up uh, by the beach in Wilmington, North Carolina. And so for me, uh, sea level rise and uh, flooding and climate change are, are also things that are, are constantly on my mind, especially 
still having family there and, and thinking about, you know, what life will look like there in, in 20 years, 50 years, will I still be able to go back and visit the same place where I grew up? Yeah, wow, that's actually a really deep and thought-provoking idea that if you go back home, some things that have been familiar to you might be underwater. Exactly. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, not fun to think about, for sure. No, not fun to think about. I actually just, uh, I am the outdoor writer for Cooperative Living Magazine, and um, it's a freelance position, and I was just on Tangier Island back in August. Yeah. Um, looking at some similar issues with um, with erosion and sea level rise and things like that. And that was fascinating mm-hmm. to, um, to see. Um, what is the coverage area of the work you do? Yeah, so Blue Ridge Outdoors covers the Mid-Atlantic and Southeast. And so we sort of have grown over the, the 26 years that we've been in publication from really just focusing on outdoor recreation in and around Charlottesville to now covering you know, basically Pennsylvania and Maryland on down to Georgia, over into Kentucky, Tennessee, and and Alabama a little bit. So um, we really cover a a wide region. And it's a region that I think, in terms of outdoor recreation, often gets overlooked, um, just because people think of, you know, Grand Tetons and and Rocky Mountain Mm -hmm. National Park, and and you think of these big mountains and, and these wild rivers that have class five rapids. And um, we have all of that here, which I think is pretty exciting to get to explore some of that stuff. Yeah. Wow. Your coverage area is pretty extensive. I didn't realize how extensive it was. So you probably travel a lot. Yeah. So that's definitely the the fun part of my job or the the, the most fun part of my job, I should say. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously with, with COVID, things were, were scaled back a little bit and um, just trying to make sure that we were being safe and all of that. But we're mm-hmm. definitely starting to get out there again and trying to do travel that, that you know, is great to be able to do things outside. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's definitely a fun part and getting to go to some places that I'd never heard of before or, um, you know, were, was just interested in learning something new. So you mentioned COVID and getting outside and while you had to scale back some of your travel because of the pandemic, did you notice, because I've heard from a lot of people and I've seen some research that shows that people were getting outside in record numbers uh, when the pandemic hit. Did you notice that in any of your work? Absolutely. Every story that I covered, it had somehow COVID had, had touched an aspect of somebody's job or somebody's life. And you know, hearing from outfitters and bike shops and, and guiding services, you know, they were seeing record numbers of people interested in doing something. They still wanted to, to be able to travel a little bit and do something fun and, and relax, but they didn't want to do things inside. And so, um, so yeah, so that was really awesome to hear from them just that, you know, they were really seeing a lot of people who were trying things that they'd never tried before. Um, you know, bike shops are selling out of bikes, they can't get parts in. Um, so that's great to hear. Um, you know, and then just it's a whole, it's a whole, it's really touched on a whole group of people who um, I think have been introduced to the benefits of being able to get outside. And so hopefully in doing so, and they continue to do that throughout the, the pandemic and, and as we hopefully move out of it. Um, but but in creating a, a new new generation of of stewards for for this planet and for these places that we love, which would be awesome to see. Yeah, I, that is one thing I really hope continues after the pandemic. People will kind of continue this outdoor lifestyle. It always baffled me that we weren't like that 
before, you know, like it seemed like people would opt inside when it was so much nicer to opt outside. And I, you know, people had to be forced into it, unfortunately. But for me, that's been one of the benefits that I've seen is people taking to the outdoors because there just wasn't another option. And then maybe realizing, oh, it's nice out here. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and too, like, you know, I think people oftentimes when we talk about getting outside, there's this idea that you have to go somewhere far away and you have mm-hmm. to pack all this stuff with you in order to get there. And I, I am hoping that what people t- have taken away from this pandemic is that you can get outside in very simple ways right outside your, your back door. You know, for me, Sometimes that looks like sitting on my porch and reading as the sun sets, which is, you know, really beautiful and peaceful and just a way to sort of disconnect from a busy workday. I've gotten to know the Greenway that's just a mile from my house. And so I'll bike down there and sit by the river sometimes or, you know, just hang out um, by the water. So that's been really great to sort of see people, you know, being able to get outside, but it's not this big adventure that they have to you know spend months planning for and make reservations for it it can be something really really simple and just a great way to to decompress and get away yeah I think that's a really good point that for most of us a lot of some people face obstacles to getting outside but for most of us it can be very accessible it can be as simple as going out to your porch or your deck yeah I think that's a wonderful uh thing to point out it doesn't have to be a big adventure every time (laughs) exactly So speaking of big adventures, what are some of the most adventurous activities you've done in your job? That's a great question. I I consider myself to be very fortunate in just sort of having the opportunities to to be able to do some of these things that I'd never even thought I would be interested in doing. Um, So this, this past winter, I went ice climbing for the first time. And that was something that you think of ice climbing in the south like there can't be stable enough ice to be able to do that (laughs) this does not sound safe (laughs) no exactly but there is um you can find it and um it was this experience that um it was cold and it was raining and I was miserable and as soon as we started climbing the ice uh there was this adrenaline rush that that kicked in as we uh sort of kicked in you know, we're using our crampons and our, our ice axes to, to climb up this waterfall of ice. Um, wow. So that was pretty cool. Um, but I would say in terms of uh, big adventures, the, the biggest thing that I've done was recently a colleague, uh, Shannon McGowan, who is our digital content coordinator, and I biked the Sino Canal from Georgetown, D.C. up to Cumberland, Maryland. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned in the intro, 184.5 miles. It's incredible. Um, it, I I was so nervous going into it because I I consider myself sort of a a casual outdoors person. I mm-hmm. like to go hiking on the weekends and ride my bike around town, but I'm not this big adventure person. I don't like backpacking for uh, you know hundreds of miles and. I, you know, I'm, I'm just not that, that's just not my style, which is, you know, I think um, totally fine. And, um, but, but when Shannon and I started talking about this, uh, this bike trip and she's a, a big time mountain biker and, 
you know, has spent years um, sort of honing her skills there. And so I was really nervous. The longest I'd ever biked was maybe 10 miles at that point. Mm-hmm. And we were going to be averaging 45 miles a day um, over uh-huh. some, some, you know, gravel terrain and uh, <laughs> not, not insignificant mileage every day. So, so uh, I was super nervous going into it and ended up being one of the best experiences of my life so far. Isn't that true of so many things that scare us? So many things that we're tempted not to do after we just do it end up being some of the best experiences we've ever had. Yeah, they really do. And and that's one thing that I have to keep reminding myself of is that, you know, for me, you know, I get when it, these big things come up, you know, I get a lot of anxiety around them and I um, struggle to put it into perspective and my, my mind goes down this path of just uh, worst case scenarios, and, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, that's a really hard mindset to get out of. And, and then everything, you know, it's not that we didn't have bumps along the way and, and there weren't times where I was really down and, and feeling like I was struggling to find the motivation to keep going. Um, but, but you get through it and you um, get to the other side and, and you look back on all the, the things that you were so worried about before. And, and it's kind of like, wow, why did I spend all that mental and emotional energy on something that um, was, yes, physically and mentally challenging and, and tough, um, but, but I'm a capable person who's able to work through problems. And, and so just reminding myself of those things, I think the more you have those positive experiences, the, the more you have to draw on when that anxiety pops up and, and you're trying to help yourself calm down a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Every obstacle you overcome builds you up for the next one. If, if I could do this, then I can do that. If I can do that, then I can do this. Exactly. So you were nervous and it's pretty incredible to me that you went from having biked only maybe 10 miles, because I mean, I've done that, to all of a sudden doing 40 to 45 in a day, which is four times what you're used to doing. How did you prepare for that? Uh, Not enough. I did not prepare (laughs) enough (laughs) would be the answer to that. Um, I was doing mostly just biking around town and I was trying to build up my mileage a little bit week by week. I, looking back on it, did not start early enough, I don't think. I only gave Mm -hmm. myself about two months. And in my mind, that sounded like a lot of time to to get ready. But there were days when I would wake up and I just didn't feel like going for a bike ride and, you know, or I, something would pop up and I'd be busy or I wanted to spend time with friends and I didn't want to train, you know? And so there- you know, we're just a lot of obstacles that, that came up. And so I think I only ended up doing about 15, like major, uh, bike rides starting from, I think, uh, you know, averaging around like 10 to 15 miles and then working my way up to, I did two big 26 mile rides, um, you know, a few, about a week or two before this trip. And so, so yeah, so that was sort of the the physical aspect of it. And then um, for for the mental part of it, I for me as a journalist, um, one of my strengths is is research. And I uh, would definitely call myself an over preparer. And so I was reading all the blog posts I could find of people who'd done it before, watching people's YouTube videos and trying to get a sense of the terrain and you know, what, what I could expect from out on the trail. And I was talking to, to people who live and work up there and 
um, you know, just trying to get a sense of, of what to expect out there. So for me, that was, was the other side of, of the preparation was also making sure that I was mentally ready to, to take on something like this. And Shannon and I, before we did this trip, we had a number of really great conversations between the two of us, just in terms of setting expectations for ourselves and for each other. And, you know, what are some things you think you're going to struggle with? How can I help you through those things? Um, when you're struggling, what are things that I can do to help you through those moments? And so I think having that, knowing that we are going into this trip as partners, as as friends, as people who were there to support each other was really helpful in knowing that um, that we'd be able to do this together. And so, um, you know, we both acknowledge, we're like, hey, like if, if either of us feels like it's time to quit, um, there's no shame in that. And so just sort of acknowledging to each other and to ourselves that this wasn't something worth, you know, hurting ourselves uh, over or, or trying to, you know, push through when we just couldn't anymore. So all of those things, I think, combined led up to what I felt was a, a very successful trip. I love that you have a female friend who's willing to take on these adventures with you. And I, I just love this. I mean, I feel like your adventure would make the perfect children's book, you know, <laughs> like two women out on this cycling adventure. It's almost 200 miles. It's just kind of the whole journey of that feels very inspiring to me. Um, and I love that you had those kind of conversations. Like, I almost feel like the depth of the thought that went into those conversations of like, okay, what makes you upset and what helps you? That was very insightful and perceptive of the two of you to realize that you had to be that self-aware and then also that aware of each other. Yeah. I mean, Shannon and I traveled together enough at both, you know, for work and, and then as people who are friends outside of work and doing things on things on our own, that we, we know that we are different types of people. We travel differently we have different expectations, um, we need different things. And so I think knowing that about ourselves and knowing each other so well mm. really helps us to, to make, make those conversations a, a very important part of our, our traveling. Um, and, and you mentioned, you know, having, you know, another woman to be out there on the trail with, it was very interesting. We, we I think, ran across one other group of two women only, but for the most part, it was like, you know, uh, mostly a lot of groups of men or um, mm -hmm. single, single men riders, or like husbands and wives riding together. And so we really did not see a lot of uh, just women out there alone riding this trail. And so I think the the very few times we we did come across an all women team, we were, we got so excited. We we're yeah. like, yeah, go go, ladies. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, it was it was super great to have a friend and you know just somebody to talk to as you're going through this and when you're hurting, she's hurting, you're mm -hmm. pushing each other through it um, was really great. Yeah, what a cool experience. I read your um, article about it a couple days ago, and it was just. I mean, I was so impressed to hear you say that you don't consider yourself like a big outdoorsy person. I'm like, do you remember your job title? <laughs> um, and then I read your articles about like the survivalist class. I mean, the article, I, I want to talk about that more later, but the article that you wrote about that, I think I read it maybe five days ago. 
it has stuck with me to the point where <laughs> I got up in the middle of the night last night to go pee and <laughs> I was chilly and I was, I've been mulling over this idea of like, maybe I should do a survivalist class. Maybe I could write about that. And, and I was <laughs> just cold in the air conditioning. And I was like, nope, nope. I'm not <laughs> outdoorsy enough for a survivalist class in the winter. I can't <laughs> handle it. And then the one who's completed, it's like, I'm not that much of an outdoorsy <laughs> person. And I'm like, well, that makes me a total wimp. <laughs> oh no, not at all. Not at, I was, I will tell you, I was miserable that entire weekend. I hate the cold. And I, yeah, yeah. I don't mind the cold if I can control it, but if I know I'm going to be out there for 36 hours and there's no reprieve and there's no getting out of it short of tapping out, which stubborn me would have to be pretty miserable to do. Yeah. Um, I, I would hate that. I would hate yes. that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So let's, let's actually talk about that now. So yes. you did that in March of 2019. So it was, it was a couple of years ago and it was a wilderness survivalness course. And the article is called always cheat, always win. So my first question, and you may have to, well, I don't know, it may come to you really quickly, actually. What was the most valuable survival lesson you took away from that? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so Andrew Harrington, who led that survival class, he is uh, a really, really incredible person who's super plugged into it, a number of different things. And he runs this um, rescue, search and rescue squad out in the Great Smoky Mountains um, called uh, Busar. And he does uh, these workshops through his company, uh, Big Pig Outdoors. And his mantra, always cheat, always win, is all about being prepared for whatever situation you might encounter. And so I think in terms of what I took away was, and maybe this feeds into my own tendencies of, of always wanting to be prepared and, and ready for anything, but was that, um, you know, he's not out there to teach you how to make a bow drill fire and start a fire using two sticks by rubbing them together. You know, I mean, that's not he, what he's about. He's about carry, he says, excuse my language, but he says, carry the shit you need so that you are ready and you have the things that you need in order to, to survive. Mm -hmm. And so I think hearing that from him and seeing him, you know, he showed us everything that he carries in his pack and what are the, the staples that he always has on him. And, you know, since, since taking that course, you know, I always have my puffy on me, no matter what time of year it is, you know, it's always in the bottom of my bag, just in case, or, mm -hmm. you know, I always make sure I have a lighter and some fire starter. And I have a plastic bag that I can use to keep myself warm um, mm -hmm. in front of a fire. And so things like that, that I, um, it, it's now something that I no longer have to think about when I go out every time, because I have it already in my bag, I know that it's there. And I'm constantly, you know, like, trying to refine that a little bit and, and make sure that I have everything. But, but yeah, I think that's been the biggest takeaway take is just like, you know, do I have everything I need in this scenario? And then also being ready to, to act on anything that might happen. Yeah. It sounds like a really valuable course just from a practical standpoint, but Absolutely. also just for personal growth, yeah. Um, which brings me to our next question. What was the most valuable life lesson you learned or the most valuable thing you learned about yourself when you had to face those 36 hours of pure physical and mental anguish? 
Yes. Um, I think for me, you know, I was super, once again, super nervous going into this. Uh, I would be terrified. (laughs) I'm terrified considering it. Right. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, I I don't like the cold. I grew up by the beach where, you know, the cold (laughs) it it would get was like 40 degrees in the winter. Right. 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 Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of the cold and, um, I'm not a huge fan of not knowing what's coming. Um, and so, so all of these things were, were running through my mind leading up to this and, and I get there and I actually, um, so it's the middle of January. We're in the, just outside Smoky Mountains in North Carolina. And, um, you know, I was meeting my editor in chief at the time, Will Harland. He was coming from our Asheville office and we were going to meet and take this class together. And, you know, um, I hadn't spent much time with him in person. Most of our conversations were over the phone and I get there and it's, uh, myself and one other woman. And then it's, uh, about five or six, I think six, six or seven men, um, taking this course and, and leading it. And, you know, I, you mentioned being stubborn. I mean, I was determined to not be the one to tap out, you know, yeah. in that moment. Um, and, uh, I personally, uh, don't sleep very well when I camp. So I was a little nervous about that. I was like, I know that I'm not going to sleep well. Um, when I don't sleep well, then I, you know, get everything's harder. <laughs> everything's yeah. harder. Everything's exactly. harder. Um, and, and so like all of these things that I just knew about myself and I knew that I didn't enjoy certain scenarios. And so I try to avoid those, those scenarios as much as possible. And so knowing all these things about myself ahead of time, I was, I was pretty anxious about, you know, just being able to get through it. And, um, and it ended up, it rained pretty much the entire 36 hours that we were there and so you're having to build fires while it's raining, your hands are cold, everything is wet. Like, you know, there's just, I, there were moments when I was like, why am I out here doing this? I am out here voluntarily. I don't get uh, paid enough for this. I don't, get, yeah, I don't get paid enough for this. Like, why am I here? And, um, and so all of these thoughts are running through my head. And by the end of the course, I think, I was so excited when I was able to start a fire and get it going and know that I would be able to take care of myself if I was ever in a situation where I was alone or got separated from a group or, you know, whatever this scenario Mm -hmm. may be. And so I think just finding out those things about yourself that you're, I I mentioned earlier that you're capable of, of problem solving and, and working things out um, is a super rewarding experience no matter what led you to those, to that point, you, um, you got there. And so I think just having the knowledge that, you know, even if I forget everything else that I learned, even if I forget how to make, you know, a makeshift sling for a broken arm or, you know, uh, some of the other navigation things that he taught us, um, even if that stuff doesn't stick with me, I think I will remember that I was able to get through this, 36 hours and that if I can do that, then I can do other hard things. Yeah. There are so many women that I have spoken with for this podcast who have echoed that concept in some context or another, that if I can do this, or if I lived through this, everything else is easier. Like nothing will be as hard as 
X, whatever X was. Right. Um, and that threshold always gets pushed up a little yes, bit. Yes, it does. Just when you think it's gotten as hard as it can possibly get. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You you have done some really scary and uncomfortable things for your job. What do you think gets you through them, aside from the fact that you've already gotten through some of them? I think for me, I am a person who's very interested in new experiences and, and trying new things. And I'm not um, as, as anxious as I might be about just what to expect and that sort of thing. I think there's also a part of me that um, gets a bit of a, a thrill from, from doing things that she didn't think she, that, that I didn't think I could do, mm-hmm. um, you know? And so part of it is that, you know, it is my job and uh, you know, I, I feel like I write best as a, as a journalist when I can speak from personal experience. And um, I think a lot of readers can relate to that. They can relate to the personal experience more than, you know, me looking up some facts online or you know, whatever it might be. Um, so, so yeah, so I think part of it is, is just wanting to write from personal experience and describe the feeling and, you know, the, the way that the air moved through the area while I was there and what you were able to smell and, and those sort of things can, can only add to your writing. Um, but then for me personally, it's just um, getting to do new things that I um, wouldn't try otherwise. I mean, I, I don't think I would ever say like, yeah, let's go ice climbing one random Saturday. And, you know, <laughs> like, it's just not, you know, not something I would necessarily do. So yeah. I think it, the job definitely pushes me to, um, seek out those experiences and and try things that I wouldn't normally do. Yeah, a recent freelance position I uh, I'm working on. They're working on their editorial calendar for some outdoor and travel writing, and I threw some ideas out, and they came came back with, "Well, what about cattle driving?" And I was like, "You can do that here." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, well, <laughs> I guess I'm a little <laughs> bit terrified of that, but now part of me's like, maybe I should try cattle driving. I don't know." <laughs> Absolutely. Well, could you, you, I mean, you just never know what you're gonna find or like, you know, discover, right? right? Like, I mean, I mentioned um, back in college, I remember we were working on this story about Interstate 81 and sort of the dangers of that particular interstate. And, um, and we were talking about what are some ways in which we can visually demonstrate um, the, the dangers of this highway. And, and so we got to talking and, you know, I was sort of like the the photographer of the journalism department and um, we were discussing ways in which, you know, can, can we get aerial photos of, of this, mm-hmm. this place and, and this, this highway and sort of be able to show it from a different perspective. And we ended up finding a guy in town who has a plane and uh, he's offered to take me out one Saturday afternoon and, and I show up and he opens up his little hanger and he pulls out his tiny. Tell me it's not tiny, a biplane. Is his tiny biplane? <sighs> it's an open cockpit, uh, tiny biplane that he has built himself from a kit um, that he got off the internet. And, Ellen, I might have uh, cried. I might have <laughs> cried. Well, you know, there was a moment where I was like, 
should I do Am this? Am I going to die? We're talking yeah. about an unsafe highway and I'm going to get in that contraption. Exactly. We take off from a grass field, you know, and I'm like, thank goodness I didn't tell my mom about this beforehand because she'd be having a heart attack right now. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, like it, it obviously like it ended up being fine, you know, and so it was just one of those experiences that I'll never forget, like the wind literally like coming yeah. through my hair as we're like flying. I mean, we weren't that far off the ground. Um, far enough. Far enough. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but yeah, so, so it's just like, you know, those, once again, like trying to remind yourself of those experiences and mm-hmm. remind yourself that it, it worked out and, um, and that um, it's a good reason to, to push yourself and, and to try new things. Yeah, I literally just had to take a deep breath to relieve the anxiety I felt imagining myself in that position. It's like my husband's worst nightmare. He, I don't think he would have done it (laughs) um, at all. But that is really cool. Really cool. Um, Okay, so we've been talking a little bit about your job here and some things that you've done for your job. Do you get to come up with the ideas for the adventures and experiences? Or does the magazine do that? Or like an editorial board? Where Where does the content come from? So we have uh, an editorial calendar that um, sort of highlights some major themes that we'll cover every month. And, uh, you know, we're a publication, we come out monthly, um, 11 times a year. And so, for instance, every September is our biking issue. And so we know we're going to be covering some kind of biking content during that month. And so having that as sort of a, a, an overall guideline and, and um an outline to follow is, is really helpful yeah. for us. But um, one of the things that I love about this job is the independence and um, sort of uh, ability I have to pitch my own stories. And so uh, pretty much everything that I pitch and write about are stories that I've found myself. They're, they're people who I've come across in, in my research. They're new places that I want to, you know, uh, write about their things that I want to try, you know, all of the, all of the travel that Shannon and I do together are all things that we do because we want to do it. You know, we want to write about ice climbing and we're going to go do it so that we can write about ice climbing. We're going to bike this, you know, because we want to bike this, you know, and then we're going to write about it. So that's one thing that's super great about working for the magazine is sort of that independence and um, the, just the supportiveness of, of the editorial team to, to really say just, Hey, go for it. You want to try this thing? Um, have fun with it, you know? And yeah, so here's your deadline. <laughs> exactly. Here's a deadline. <laughs> here's a travel budget and uh, you know, see what you can do with it. Yeah. I mean, you really have a dream job. I mean, it is so well suited for you and it just sounds like so much fun and so fulfilling and satisfying to get to have these adventures and then use your writing, which you love to convey the experience to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. And the other thing too, in addition to just me being able to go travel and, and do some of these really, really cool things that I didn't think I'd be able to do is just the opportunity to talk to so many people in our region who are also doing incredible things mm-hmm. and um, just to see the, the, the breadth of um, diversity within people who are out there doing any number of different things on a daily basis and getting to be inspired by that and what they're doing is also, you know, um, it, it fuels my own interest in, mm-hmm. in these kinds of things. And so, um, so yeah, so every time 
I, you know, I just did a story about um, trail magic for our October issue. Oh yes, I love that. Um, yeah, and it's it's like such a cool concept. Mm-hmm. And it's um, this idea that you know, um, giving and of of something, whether it's a uh, you know food or or a hug or you know whatever a hiker may need while out on the trail but it's giving without the expectation of receiving something in return and and so I I pitched this idea because you know like a lot of people I I think I've gotten bogged down by just things happening in the world right now and this idea that we're all so divided and and it's hard to find um, things that we can come together around and this idea that they're are people out on the trail who um, are willing to, to to give of themselves to other people without any expectation of anything in return um, was a story that I, you know, was perfect, I think, for the moment and was something that just hearing people's stories about trail magic was something that um, was was what I needed to hear at the time. Yeah. I was a, as a pretty low place myself and, and just feeling generally, you know, a little bit of hopelessness. And mm-hmm. um, so getting to talk to people about those kinds of things was, uh, was helpful for me as well. And I hope readers get something out of that as well. Yeah, very uplifting subject matter when we are surrounded by a lot of bleak news for such a long time. Exactly. Um, what advice would you give to people who might be interested in pursuing a career like yours in travel writing or outdoor writing? That's a great question. Because I sort of fell into writing kind of accidentally. Photography was was my main, pa- it still is my main passion. And fortunately, there aren't a lot of staff photography positions out there anymore. And so writing began as a way to sort of support myself and, and also pursue the photography. And I soon discovered that I actually loved the, the writing as well. So I think, you know, just in terms of writing, for me, um, it's finding things that you're interested in because that interest comes out a little more genuinely when when you're writing a piece or, or sharing a pitch with an editor and, and having the ability to um, find and connect with people who are um, not, not the ones who are most well-known uh, around an issue, but the ones who are closest to an issue. And I think those are often misconstrued as being the same thing. Um, the ability to, to seek out those people and to, to try and um, connect them and, and to learn from them and hopefully to share a little bit of their wisdom is something that I try to do as a writer. And, uh, and I'm always trying to find those people who are doing something a, a little bit differently or who are um, you know, going about things in a, in a new kind of way and trying to, to see if we can learn from those people. And speaking about your photography, if if our listeners want to go check it out, it's beautiful. Um, can they still find it at photo.zinger on Instagram? Yeah, my my Instagram is private currently, I think. Okay. Um, mostly because I'm still, I, I have a weird relationship with social media and I'm not really sure how I want to use it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I understand that. It's, it is a tricky, it's tricky, tricky terrain. It really is. And, and it, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I actually, I deleted, I didn't delete all my social media, but I deleted it all off of my phone mm-hmm. um, because I use social media a lot for my job and just in terms of finding people and, and connecting with sources. Right. And it felt like I was just like, you know, the, the first few weeks I was like always on it. And 
doom scrolling and it just was not good for my mental health. So I, um, uh, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out a, a healthy way in which to use it. Um, and, uh, but also wanting to like share my work, but I haven't found that, <laughs> that yet. You, well, you do have your website too. Though. Yes, I do have a website. And so that's ellenmkanzinger.com. If people want to go see some of your beautiful photos and learn more about what you do. Yep. Um, Sorry, I got distracted looking at your, I was looking at your website. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. What advice would you give to people who maybe feel a little bit intimidated about sort of stepping into the outdoors? So for, for those people who want to ease in to some outdoor adventures, maybe not as intense as the survivalist course or 184 you know, mile cycling trip, what advice would you give to someone who's just trying to come into the outside? First, don't be intimidated when it comes to gear. Um, I think as an industry, the outdoor industry talks a lot about the newest and latest and greatest gear and mm. having to have the lightest weight tent and you know the, the newest hiking boots and, and those kinds of things. And I think in that messaging, it gets lost that these things are oftentimes unnecessary, mm -hmm. that you can get a tent um, from Walmart and you can wear your sneakers out on the trail and you can hike in your shorts or your jeans that you already have. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing that people can get stuck on. Um, and if you're interested in other gear, you know, there's great resources, great secondhand use uh, resources out there um, that can really help you get into some of those aspects in a more affordable way where you're not buying a bunch of stuff and then realizing that you don't actually like this new activity that you bought a bunch of stuff for. Right. So I would say that would be my, my first um, bit of advice. Secondly, I would say seek out people in your area online who are doing similar things that you want to be doing. Um, there are great resources, whether it's meetup.com, who a lot of areas will have, for instance, there's a Charlottesville hiking and backpacking mm -hmm. um, meetup group that, you know, that anyone is welcome to join and, and go out on. Um, that can be a little intimidating. Um, I don't know. I personally, uh, as a woman, alone would would seek that out but it's an option out there and and if that's not something you're comfortable with you know new new people new faces um finding a a friend um who you want know, to say hey just can you go on a walk with me or you know just trying to find somebody in your life who um is willing to to experience this new thing with you so that it's not so intimidating being the only one out there and it's not so uh, anxiety inducing when you think about all the things that might go wrong. You have a partner there who can help you get through it. So I would say those are the, the two main things I would say. I think those are excellent pieces of advice. I mean, when you're out, you know, I get hung up on gear and like you, I don't consider myself like this great outdoors woman, but I do hike and occasionally camp. I like to paddleboard and I just, I like to be outside. Um, but I'm so not knowledgeable about the gear and the branding and what you need for this and what you need for that. And sometimes that does make me feel a little inadequate because people will ask me, I'm like, why are you asking me? I'm not an expert. I know the trails, 
but sometimes I just wear Skechers tennis shoes when I hike five miles. <laughs> like exactly. I just don't know. And we're actually a few of us, there's like a group of six or seven of us planning a day hike coming up. And uh, I was just going to wear like my lightweight Skechers tennis shoes because that's what I did last time and it was fine. And literally last night when I should have been sleeping, I was on my phone looking at Keens and Merrill's like vented this and blah, blah, blah yeah. until I was like, go to bed, Amanda, <laughs> because I was like, I don't want the people in the group to judge me and think like, you know, but I'm like, they're not going to do that. And the trees don't care and the gravel in the trail doesn't care. And if it works for you, what? who cares? Exactly. So yeah, great advice. And finding a buddy, I think that's really good advice. Really good advice. There's so many groups everywhere. I mean, here in Richmond, there are tons of hiking groups that are really accessible, really friendly, really supportive, and you can learn so much from those people. Right, exactly. And you know, I mean, the great thing about that is you bring different strengths to whatever trip you're going on. Um, and so, you know, I think that's something that I've discovered with Shannon is, is, you know, she has sort of that gear knowledge just from years of biking and, and working, um, guiding jobs and that sort of thing. And so when I had a gear question, like what size bike tires do I need? Because this bike is too big for me, you know, like just things like that, that I don't necessarily know about. And you, you try to Google it and there's like 15 million results that come back and you're like, I don't know what advice to trust, you know, I mean, having something like that where you can bounce ideas off of each other um, can be really great to, in sort of cutting down some of that noise that, that tends to drown out some of the, the best advice out there. Yeah, definitely. And plus someone, you know, who knows you can give you sort of personal, you know, personally tailored advice, which is nice. So along the lines of advice, um, you do a lot of environmental work in your writing. So a lot of people are really concerned about climate change and, you know, the environment right now. It's really um, come to the forefront. I mean, I, I think it should have come to the forefront a long time ago, but it finally has. And a lot of people are feeling, I think, a little bit like they can't make a difference or they don't know where to start, but they want to, the intention is there. So what advice would you give to people who are concerned about the environment? Like maybe what are the top five things they could do to help that are accessible, easy ways that could make a difference? Um, one of the toughest things about covering environmental issues and, and climate change is just that they are these massive global scale problems that you can get really inside of your head. Like how can I as an individual do anything? Mm -hmm. And that's a really um, fatalistic uh, approach to it. And you um, it's very easy when you're in that mindset to then say, well, I can't do anything to change this personally. So I'm just not going to do anything. Um, and, and so they, I think that's, you know, sort of, where we are right now with a lot of people is, is a lot of people aren't involved because they, they think they can't do anything and they think what they do won't matter. Um, so I would say first, I, I would recommend two resources um, for people. Um, one is a podcast called How to Save the Planet. And it's um, an excellent podcast where they focus on a different issue every week related to environmental issues or, or climate change. And they break down um, some people who are doing uh, unique and, and are taking different approaches to solving these problems. And at the end of every episode, they list actionable steps that you can take Ugh. 
to work on that <laughs> issue. Nice. If, you're, if you're like, you're super inspired by this episode on solar energy and you're like, yes, this is what I want to focus my energy on. Here are some ways in which you can do that. So that's the first um, resource. The second is a book. It's a book, and it's an, an anthology of essays called "All We Can Save," um, and it's um, written entirely by uh, um, women uh, authors. Oh, and wow. uh, it's this incredible collection of stories about hope and um, hard work and just some badass women doing really incredible thinking and, and work in this space. And I personally cried a lot through the book um, just because there was there was a lot of emotion around it. You know, you, you start to realize like all of the issues that, that need to be addressed. But it also it was a great resource just in terms of like learning more about all these amazing projects happening out there. So so I think the, the first piece of advice would just be like, find the medium that suits you, whether it's listening to a podcast, reading a book, watching a documentary that, that gets you interested, because I think that's, that's one way that we can, we can keep ourselves informed. Secondly, I would say uh, trying not to let yourself go down that fatalistic path, because it, it doesn't necessarily lead to a whole lot of action. It doesn't lead to a whole lot of, you know, things getting done. And, and that's what we need is, is getting things done. So um, trying to find ways, so some of the, the small things that you can find joy in, that you can find hope in, whether that's writing it down on a sticky note so that you can remind yourself of it later when you're, you're feeling down, but, but trying to, to take a more holistic viewpoint of, of what the problems are. I would also say, you know, I think a lot of people think that when it comes to addressing environmental issues that they have to reinvent the wheel and they have to do everything on their own and they have to start a new organization. I think that's the wrong way to approach it, actually. I think there are so many organizations and groups already out there, already formed, already doing the work on the ground, that it is so much better to add your voice to those groups already working than trying to find your own niche in this space because that's just going to take so much longer for you to, to build up any sort of influence. So um, finding, finding organizations, finding people who care about the same issues and getting involved with them um, is, is a great way to, to find some camaraderie and, and within those relationships that you form, you can find some hope that there are other people out there working on these same issues. For, for me personally, um, I started composting recently during, well, not that recently, I've been doing it for, for about nine months now. And that was a, something that, you know, I'd always thought about, like, what are some ways in which I personally can reduce my impact? And mm-hmm. um, it's so, I mean, I think I, I wrote a story about this where I, I spent a few weeks trying to target all the areas in my life in which I produced waste. Um, you know, so I did things like I bought period underwear so that I wouldn't have menstrual waste anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I tried to keep track of how much plastic I was buying and only buy things in glass or, or cardboard that could be recycled easier. And, um, you know, I was doing things like that and you just realize like how monumental of a problem waste is in yeah. our lives. And it's hard to tackle that alone. So food waste was one area where I felt like I could do some actual um, cleaning up of of my own life. And so composting, I do it with my roommate. And it's this really great community program where 
I walk my compost over to the community compost bin once a week and, um, and they take it and they turn it into dirt. And, um, <laughs> and it, it feels great to be, not only am I doing something with my waste, but, you know, I get to see the other people in the community who are also um, thinking about the same thing. And so that's, that's a pretty heartening process to be a part of. I was looking up the podcast really quick. Was it how to save the planet or how to save a planet? How to save a planet is is the title of that uh, podcast. I have subscribed. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also going to look up this book, All We Can Save. I love that it's about the environment and I love that it's by all women writers. Yeah. It's really incredible. And there, um, Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson is uh, one of the spearheaders um, of both of those projects, which is uh, sort of how I, I found out about both of them. Um, but uh, she's doing incredible work and, and really is centering, um, you know, a lot of issues of equity and justice in, in the climate space, which is really awesome to see. Is she someone you have written about or interviewed? Uh, she is not. I feel like she's a little above my uh, my reach. She's a she's a pretty big. I would love to interview her. Yeah, um, so would I. But yeah, she's incredible. Um, but uh, but no, I have not had a chance to to speak with her yet. That might be coming. Who knows? Yes, there you go. Yes, one day on my dream interview list. That's right. Definitely up there. That's right. We already have your dream job. So <laughs> next on the list. All right, so we, we just spent quite a few minutes talking about ways people could maybe begin to make a dent in the problem of climate change. And, and we kind of just said like, that it's a big problem because there are so many facets of it. Um, what do you perceive as some of the most pressing global environmental issues and why do you see that? And that of course is a very loaded question not necessarily a specific environmental issue of itself but it, it it plays into things just not getting done is um a willingness of people to um make some sacrifices in order to make some changes that um when we're addressing climate change there are things that we currently do that we um can't do anymore if we're going to get serious about making um, about turning this around. And so I think um, that especially living in a place like the United States that that comes from a lot of privilege and wealth in in this this world that we have a lot more work to do than other countries do. And so are we at the point where we're ready to give up some some comforts and some things that that we've held on to in the past? And are our leaders ready to to do the the hard things to to make some decisions that are going to make a lot of people unhappy that are going to affect things like money and power and position and for all of these these problems that we want to address whether it's uh you know fossil fuels or water pollution or rising seas you know all of these problems none of that's going to change none of that's going to get solved none of, the, none of that's going to get worked on unless people are willing to put resources and time and energy and power behind making those changes happen. And so I think that's the thing that when I talk about getting down and feeling hopeless, that's, that's the issue that, that gets me the most down is because yeah. I have a really hard time seeing uh, anything like that happen anytime in the near future. Me too. I mean, change is hard and change yeah. is slow. What you're saying reminded me of something I saw on the, um, 
I'm on the Sierra Club. I'm in the part of the Sierra Club group that's local, the Falls of the James one here in mm-hmm. Richmond. And uh, they had posted an event and they had this uh, passage posted as part of it that really stuck with me. And I think it might stick with you too. It said, the single biggest thing I learned was from an indigenous elder of Cherokee descent, Stan Rushworth, who reminded me of the difference between a Western settler mindset of I have rights and an indigenous mindset of I have obligations. Instead of thinking that I am born with rights, I choose to think that I am born with obligations to serve past, present, and future generations and the planet herself. I mean, it's such a shift of mindset. And I feel like that shift to I have obligations and responsibilities is what we need. Absolutely. And I think that that's something that as I've worked in this role more and have tried to interact with with different groups that I've come to understand a little bit better is when I get to do these incredible things like go hiking all the time, go for this really long biking trip, do these things in these places that will absolutely take your breath away. Um, What am I giving back? What am I doing to to return the love that I get from these places. And we have a tendency within outdoor recreation of taking, we take a lot um, from these places. And so I think thinking about those kinds of things can can help shift your mind a little bit. There's this amazing book, um, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. She talks a lot about that idea of reciprocity and what it um, means to... Uh, be a part of the natural world because we tend to separate ourselves as human. Um, and there's the the human world and the, the natural world. And we're actually a, a part of the natural world. We are of nature. So I think um, she does a really great job over the, the course of this book of sort of uh, showing you the ways in which um, you are a part of a life cycle much, much bigger than yourself. And so how can we use that information to guide us in the ways in which we um, interact and and approach our life. My to read book list has grown by two books <laughs> in the course of this interview, which is awesome. It's just it's a never ending list, but as lists go, that's a list I'm okay with being very long. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you have mentioned in your bio, you mentioned that you like to sit on your balcony and read, and clearly you you do a lot of reading because then we haven't even been talking an hour, and you, you have mentioned two phenomenal <laughs> books. So what are some of your favorite books and are you reading anything right now? Uh, yes. So reading is, is my way of decompressing and, and relaxing. And um, so I, I read a lot and I read a lot of different stuff. I, I am uh, not picky when it comes to genres. So I am currently reading um, the uh, Stormlight Archives series by uh, Brandon Sanderson. Um, and it's a fantasy uh, series. And um, so that's been, uh, I just finished the first book. The first book is like 1200 pages. Um, and, uh, but it was incredible. I mean, absolutely mind blowing story. Um, so I've been, I've been reading a lot of fantasy this year. Um, Trail of Lightning by, oh shoot. I'm going to have to look up uh, the author's name because it is, um, takes place in a post-apocalyptic a post-apocalyptic world, Navajo Nation, um, and oh. it's written by Rebecca Roanhorse. And so she sort of combines um, these um, cultural teachings of, 
of the Navajo Nation with this post-apocalyptic world um, and uh, sort of weaves in culture and, and fantasy and uh, a dystopian society um, throughout all of that. And so, um, you know, that, that was another excellent book that I just read yeah. as well. What was that one called again? Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse. Trail of I'm writing all of this down yeah. um, <laughs> for myself. Yeah. Um, okay, switching gears a little bit because I do want to make sure we get to touch on this. Your bio mentions the Prison Journalism Project. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you got involved and what your role is? Sorry, my husband just got home. This is a very exciting moment in our evening. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, we just got a dog ourselves, and oh. so been, uh, yeah, learned in how to how to interact with that. Um, um, yeah. So, Prison Journalism Project. Um, you know, I was always somebody who in. Uh, high school and college was was super engaged and connected with a, a lot of different groups and, and organizations and causes. And I found myself after graduating and moving to a new city and starting a new job, sort of um, struggling to feel a part of the community and, and struggling to find my place in that community. And um, so, so for a while, I just, I really, I lived in Charlottesville, but I didn't feel like I was of Charlottesville started to get involved with some organizations in town and um, doing doing some volunteer work and then uh, pandemic hit and a lot of those things stopped happening in person and so I was looking for ways in which to to still contribute and be a part of something um, but maybe do it virtually and uh, so I came across the prison journalism project um, I think probably through Instagram and they were looking for for people to transcribe stories because they receive a lot of stories from people with inside of the the prison systems. A lot of them don't have access to a computer. So they send in handwritten stories wow. that they've um, written. And so they just need people to to type them up. And it's, you know, pretty um, easy job as somebody who does a lot of transcribing of, of her own interviews. Yeah. Um, but what's been really great about working with that organization is just the access to stories and points of view that don't get out there a whole lot. Um, you know, they've been doing a really great job of having writers with inside the system cover uh, the way COVID has affected the prison system and, and getting not just, you know, the the warden's point of view on, on how things are going, but getting the actual people who are living with this day to day and just hearing from them as, as to what's happening. So it's been a, a really rewarding project to be a part of. And they just did their first fundraiser a few weeks ago to be able to pay their writers, which is super awesome. Oh, that is super awesome. Yeah. Freelancers, uh, that, that's another one of my issues. Don't get paid enough for the work that they do. Um, so it was super awesome to, to see that happen and, and to see that get funded. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that strikes me about what you say with your work there is that the pages are coming to you handwritten. And it's sad to say, but so little is handwritten these days. It almost feels very intimate that you get to hold these papers that someone else held and see their handwriting. There's so much personality in handwriting. It almost has a voice of its own and we don't get to see that very much anymore. No, yeah, no, it's very true. Yeah, you're, you're privileged. <laughs> Yeah. Well, tell us about your column, The Studio. 
Yeah. Oh, the studio has been uh, probably one of my favorite long-term projects that I've worked on so far for, for Blue Ridge Outdoors. That, that sort of came about at the end of last year um, when my editor and I were talking about, you know, what are some goals that I had for the, for the next year? And one of them was to, to sort of create a new department where I was writing pretty regularly about a specific topic. And um, I was a studio art major in college. And so I was always around art, um, not just photography, but, you know, you had to take printmaking and, and drawing and sculpture and um, you had to take art history classes. And, and I just, I absolutely loved that. And so I wanted to find a way to uh, cover two of my interests, the outdoors and art together. And so the studio was born. It's a, it's a monthly column where I feature an artist in working in the, the Blue Ridge region who uses um, outdoors, uh, recreation, and, and nature as inspiration for their art. And I have talked with some truly incredible artists who are working in really innovative ways and are covering some really, really cool issues through their art. And so it's been super inspiring to me. Um, every time I get to talk to one of them, you know, it, it makes me think about my own art and the ways in which I can push myself a little further um, as an artist myself. And so that's been just phenomenal to work on. And, and I'm so appreciative of all the artists who are willing to talk with me and share their work with me because um, there's some people doing some truly incredible things out there. I'm sure they appreciate it too, because I feel like one of the biggest struggles in the creative world is getting seen. You know, there's just so much out there. So to be seen is such a battle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we're all, we're all looking for that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just personally, right. We all want to be seen. That's very, that's very valid point. Um, so you have given me at least three book recommendations and a podcast recommendation. So I have a lot of homework to do now. Um, all of it lovely homework. But I actually have a podcast recommendation for you as awesome. well. Um, you may have already heard of it. Are you familiar with Virginia Outdoor Adventures podcast? I know I'm not. Okay, well, you need to check it out. It okay. is, um, it's done by Jessica Bowser. And she lives up in Northern Virginia and she is phenomenal. I heard her speak, uh, the state parks, Virginia state parks did a conference back in, I don't know, I think it was April. Um, and I heard her speak about her experience doing trails quest, mm -hmm. which is trying to visit all the state parks, um, in this, in the state that was redundant, mm -hmm. trying to visit all the Virginia state parks. And she wrote about it and she gave a presentation about it. And that's how I learned about her podcast. And her podcast is relevant to a lot of what you were saying about mm -hmm. how, when you did your cycling trip, you didn't, you saw like one other female cycling group and it was really exciting to see that, but yeah. that was it. And when you did your survivalist class, like it was a bunch of men and then just two women, mm -hmm. um, you know, and one of Jessica's goals through the podcast is like to make the outdoors accessible to a variety of people, including women. Mm -hmm. um, and she's a woman and she does all these crazy solo adventures mm. um and she challenges her boundaries constantly and it's yeah. just it's really interesting I think you would really enjoy it yeah that's awesome I'm always looking for for recommendations on things like that so yeah check that out yeah it's very very cool well I kind of want to close with a quote that I pulled from the article you wrote about your cycling trip 
just because it was beautiful and it, and just conveniently, um, very much relates to what you were saying about how you like to write about firsthand experiences. So even when it's something you don't want to do, like 36 hours in the cold winter rain, you do it so that you can really have some credibility when you're describing it. So this is one of the things that you wrote about your cycling trip. I can't remember a time when I was more fully aware of my surroundings as when we were dodging puddles, keeping an eye on those clouds moving in, checking in with our bodies and engaging all five senses as we pedaled our loaded bikes over the gravel covered path. I just loved that because it spoke so, I mean, it spoke to what you, speaks to what you said about people being part of nature. It speaks to what you said about getting the firsthand experience. It speaks to what you said about getting out there and just being in touch. And I love it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that was, I mean, I think really trying to just capture that, um, this was uh, four days that I spent biking and not worrying about work or whatever else was going on in my life at the time that we were focused on um, getting from, from one point to another and, and doing it safely and um, just getting to take in the way that the canal changed over the course of 184 miles. There was never a time where I've been more fully present and more aware of what was happening around me than, than while I was doing that. Yeah. I feel like, um, the outdoors can really, can really do that. You know, for a long time, I took for granted that everybody was, and, and not that I'm like some guru, always aware of the natural world because the natural world is constantly surprising me. But several years ago, my dogs that I used to have, Jack and Sadie, we would walk early in the morning before I went to work, like 5.30 in the morning. My current dogs are not interested in walking in the dark. They love to go for walks, but the dark is very scary. So we don't do that anymore, but I did that for years. And so I was always very aware of the moon cycles because it really mattered to me how dark or how bright the moonlight was going to be for my morning walk. And for some reason, everybody knew the moon cycles, like who wouldn't know that? And I was at a meeting for work and someone came in and said something about it being a new moon and it was a full moon. And I was like, what? Like, and I think I said, like, I almost said it, like, you must be an idiot, which I didn't mean to say it that way, but I was just so shocked. I was like, it's a full moon. (laughs) And she's, you know, the person said, well, my angry cat calendar says it's a new moon. And I'm like, well, no, the new moon on a calendar looks like. (laughs) There's <laughs> a full moon on a calendar because it's just a circle, but like, trust me, it's a full moon. And that was such a wake up call for me about how out of, out of touch people can be. Um, I was like, really, you didn't know it was a full moon? Like, okay, well, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things of just like uh, paying attention and um, making note of, of little things like that. I spent the last year, I, uh, I moved in June of 2020 to a, a new apartment and um, with it being the pandemic and, and not going out and doing a whole lot of things. I spent a lot of time on my porch reading and there was this tree right outside of my apartment that, you know, it's surrounded by this apartment complex and it's the parking lot and it's, it's not a pretty view, but there's this one tree that I can see from my balcony I got to watch it through all four seasons. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've ever been um, that in tune of seeing the changes daily, Um, seeing the ways in which it grew, um, seeing the ways in which the leaves changed. um, And, 
and you know it's not like it, it was information that I needed or um, didn't tell me anything I didn't know already know about the seasons but um, I think recognizing the little things like that um, makes you feel a little bit closer to what's happening around you, which I think can be a really important thing. Yeah. And I mean, I actually do think that's something we need, you know, to feel this, this sense of being in tune and being connected to not just each other, but to nature and to the planet and to the creatures that inhabit it. I think that's beautiful. I love that. And, and also that really speaks to nature being accessible no matter what. I mean, this was the only tree you could see from your balcony in the parking lot and, and it fulfilled something for you. It was meaningful to be able to look out and see that tree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insights and your book and podcast recommendations. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to exploring some of those, um, a lot. (laughs) Yeah, you'll have to let me know what you think because book and podcast book and podcast recommendations are are my absolute favorite things in the world yes. to talk about. Me too. I think I I think I might be starting to drive my family and friends crazy cuz like every 3 days I'm like sending this mass text with like a new podcast. I'm like, mm-hmm. "Y'all would love this." Yeah. They're like, "We don't exactly. have time to listen to the 25 other ones you sent this week." But <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you again. Yeah, of course, Amanda. I really appreciate the time. And this was absolutely lovely for Thursday evening. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of If She Can Do It, So Can You. If you like what you heard, please consider making a donation to support our podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash if she can do it. That's buymeacoffee.com backslash I-F-S-H-E-C-A-N-D-O-I-T-S. Your donation supports the uplifting and empowering content that we produce. If you know an amazing woman who you think we should feature on a future episode of If She Can Do It, So Can You, please shoot me an email at ifshecandoitsocanyou at gmail.com. I also invite you to check out our website, ifshecandoitsocanyou.wordpress.com and pay us a visit on Instagram at ifshecandoitsocanyou. Big thanks goes out to Brad Fire of Rad Fire Productions for editing this podcast. It would absolutely not be possible without his editing expertise. Another big thanks goes out to Ashley Unger, who produces all the artwork for this podcast. I look forward to seeing you on our next episode on the first of next month. And remember, if she can do it, so can you.